Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. You pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would uh, have mercy on all of us, that you would speak into our lives. Thank you for this ancient letter that still ministers, still blesses us today. So open my lips and open our hearts to your word. Jesus, I ask this and we ask this in your name. Amen. So Galatians chapter 3 begins this way. Oh, foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? For some other older people here, bewitched pulls up a different picture. Uh, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So Paul is coming in here and he's going, you guys, like you're morons, like somehow you've gone under a, a trance. And, and he says, somehow what they're thinking and this public portrayal of crucifixion is incongruent. Uh, incongruent. And, and I think what's bewitched them, what's enchanted them are two things. One is the law, and the other is this covenant of circumcision. See, the law totally makes sense in our heart, doesn't it? I mean, when, when you start thinking about how life works, we get the law. We get, like, you should be good, right? You read the Ten Commandments. Anybody disagree with those? Right? And you're like, no, I don't want to be killed. I don't think other people should be killed. I don't like to be lied to. Other people shouldn't be lied. Like, we don't... Like, grace doesn't make sense, right? Bryce offends me, and I throw him a party. Right? You're like, what? Grace does not make sense, but the law makes sense, right? Somebody hurts you, they get something justice done to them, right? That law makes sense. And, and so uh, having some kind of um, work you have to do to be right with God just seems to make sense. To us. It's our natural inclination. And then the second thing is circumcision. And that would be the work that they were encouraging them to do to be right with God. But why is circumcision so confusing for the early church, these new believers in Jesus? Uh, look, look what the covenant says way back to Abraham. God says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Uh, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in your house, who, who is not one of your descendants. So the Gentiles could get circumcised too. They were part of the covenant. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh. Look at this word, an everlasting covenant. But the uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. Uh, and, I'm sorry, he has broken my covenant. So you read this and you see this word everlasting and they come in there and they're like, okay, Jesus died on the cross for the sins, but, but this is an everlasting covenant, right? You got to do that. And, and Paul is like, you're being bewitched, but, 
But when you read the scriptures, you're like, what part of everlasting isn't true anymore? Why is this so, what's going on? And they're easily confused. And I think we can understand this a little better if we get a closer look at Abraham or Abram before his name was changed. Now, if you're like me, you see him as probably one of the heroes of the faith. I mean, sure, he slipped up a little bit. But if you take a closer look at his life, you may find him more relatable than you think. So Abraham's story begins in Genesis 12, and the, the Bible says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, And by the way, he was from the line of Shem, which is name. So he's from the line of Shem. So his name, name will be great. And you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those. uh, And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what does God say to him? So leave, go forth from your country and from who? Your relatives. Guess what the next line says? Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken, and Lot, his brother's son, went with him. But you're like, uh, Abraham, were you not told to go alone? But he brings relatives with him. Like the first thing, God speaks to him, and he disobeys him. And if you know the story, they have this problem with not enough pasture or whatever, and they split up. Lot goes off into Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, like it didn't work go so well. Abraham, right off the bat, didn't trust or believe God. And then the Lord appears to Abraham and says, I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And then Abraham goes and moves into this land and sets up his tent there. And then all of a sudden, there's a famine in the land, and he leaves and goes to Egypt. What did God say to him? I will, make, I, will make, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Your family will be a great nation. So Abraham's like, or Abram's like, no, I don't trust that God is going to take care of me in this land where there's famine. I have to leave and go to Egypt. And then what happens in Egypt? It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know you're a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you and I may live on account of you. So now... God says, I'm going to bless you in this land. This is where you're going to get. Abraham, fearful, not trusting God's word, leaves it. Now he tells his wife to lie about her identity. And what happens, Pharaoh, um, it came about when Abraham came to the Egyptians. The Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. By the way, she's like 75 years old. They must have had some serious beauty cream back in the day. Uh, Pharaoh officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abraham well for her sake, gave him sheep, oxen, donkey, male, and what? Female slaves. Anybody know the name of one of the female slaves that was given to her? Hagar. Hagar. She's going to play a part in the story coming up, isn't she? You know what the name Hagar means? Immigrant. 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 
So uh, what happens? God struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai and Abram's wife. So of course it's like a picture. Remember another time where God is striking Egypt with plagues? But in this situation, who's innocent? The Pharaoh's innocent. You got innocent Pharaoh who's being struck with plagues because God is keeping his word to a dishonest Abraham. I mean, is this not crazy? See, the first before Egypt ever abused the Israelites, Abraham was the one who caused the abuse of Pharaoh. I mean, upstanding citizen, right? Then Pharaoh called to Abraham, Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she's your wife? Why did you not say, why did you say she's my sister? So I took her for my wife, and then now, here's your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So all the servants and Hagar, they all left. Then look what happens next. God makes another promise. He says, for the land which thou seest, I will give thee, and to thy seed forever. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. So he's saying, Abram, again, I want to remind you that your offspring, your descendants will be this great number. That's God's word to him. And now what happens? Now Sarai, Abram's Abram's wife, had borne him no children. You get this promise, but I don't see any kind of fulfillment. So what does she do? She and Abram start working out a plot to somehow help God along. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar, immigrant. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And this line here, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, is the same as Adam listened to the voice of Eve. There's like an echo back to the fall in the garden. And so what does he do? Adam's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, the immigrant, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. So the the fruit that's happening here isn't good, is it? There's dissension now happening because of this. And Sarai says to Abram, I gave my maid into your arms, but when you saw that she had conceived, I'm sorry, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Of course, she's mad at her husband, right? But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. So not a very upright guy so far, right? Any of the tests he hasn't passed... Now, what happens next? 
And the Lord gives him the covenant of circumcision. My covenant, which you shall keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. And this is what is fascinating. Tim Mackey says this. God changes Abraham's name, Abram's name, and makes him cut off skin from the part of the body that he and Sarai had used to abuse the Egyptian slave. So circumcision was a bit of a judgment on Abram and his family. And you know, what, what's interesting, though, is although God judges Abram and his family, now Abraham, it is also through that same part of his body that the Messiah is going to be born. It is also through the promise of Abram, Abraham, that, that all nations will be blessed. Yet circumcision is a sign of God's covenant with Abraham, a reminder of both divine judgment and mercy. Because it's through, through Abraham and through his seed that his offspring that all the nations will be blessed. So circumcision is both a sign of judgment and a sign of mercy. Can you think of anything else that is both a sign of judgment and of mercy? Of judgment and of grace? Amen, brother. Yeah. You fools who bewitched you before whose very eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Do you see this? He's like the, the covenant of circumcision pointed to this. Why are you going back? This is what you see. This is the important act. Don't go backwards. And, and, and you enter in by faith. He says, and, and this is the only thing I, uh, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or or by hearing through faith. He's like, when you go back and you try to trust in your works, can I say that in some respects, I think for some men, we like initiations. It proves something to us, right? Guys join fraternities, they have initiations, right? And sometimes I think, well, I bet some guys were like, yes, I like that initiation rite of circumcision. I'm doing something. I'm earning it. I'm proving it. And Paul's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't get the Holy Spirit that way. You just believed by faith. What's fascinating about this relationship that we have with the, the Holy Spirit is in the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve, didn't he? And then they sinned. What, what happened when he kicked them out of the garden? Does anybody remember what he placed to keep them from going back in the garden? Anybody remember? Angel with flaming swords, right? So then you also see God's presence in the tent of meetings, right? You have Moses, you have the Ten Commandments, you get this tent of meetings, and there's this time where the power and the presence of God, the Spirit of God, just fills this, this holy room that you can't go in, the average guy can't go in, and what what keeps us apart from that is a curtain. And you know what's woven on the curtain? Cherubim. 
Just like the garden, you couldn't get into the garden because there was an angel keeping you out. And there's an angel on this curtain because you couldn't get into the Holy of Holies because people would die and that you couldn't get into the presence of God. And the same thing when the temple was built, there's this glory, there's this fire. There, when, when the glory filled the temple, it says the priest couldn't even stand to minister. And the curtain in the temple was also one woven with cherubim, with angels on the outside, just like the Garden of Eden. And then all of a sudden, Jesus dies on the cross for the sins of the world, and he cries out, it is finished. You see, you couldn't go in because you would die, but guess what? Jesus died. He's the one who took the flaming sword of the angels, the ones woven, so to speak, on the fabric of the curtain, and the temple is torn top to bottom. Not so much that we can go in, but that God comes out to us. Paul is like, you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit in you, and you didn't get it by acts of works, you get it by faith. And Tim Keller makes this point, he says, so often we just don't realize what we actually have in the Spirit of God. And he uh, used an illustration that I'm going to use from The Lord of the Rings. I don't know if anybody likes that trilogy or that, those books. But in it, you have uh, Bilbo. And if you don't know these, just, just put like Frank or Bob next to these names. You have Bilbo who gives something very precious, which is a coat of mail. And a coat of mail, if you go to the art museum, you can see those now. They're these ringed jackets. It would keep you from being stabbed, right? It's like Kevlar, but metal. And he was given a coat of mail, but it was made out of this elven, elfish whatever uh, metal. And it says, the, all folks desire this metal. The metal could be beaten like copper, polished like glass, and the dwarfs could make it uh, of a metal light and yet harder than tempered steel. Its beauty was like that of common silver, but the beauty of mithril did not tarnish or grow dim. Bilbo had the corset uh, with the rings and, and that Thorin gave him, and I wonder what's become of it. Gathering dust, they said. What? cried Gimel. He was startled out of silence. A corset of that kind of silver is a kingly gift. Gandalf, this is this wizard dude, says, I, I never told him, but its worth was greater value than the whole shire and everything in it. So it's kind of like saying his, his metal jacket was worth Every bit as much as if you summed up everything owned in Brexville and Broadview Heights. And the content of their homes. And that's what this guy's wearing. Frodo said nothing. They didn't know. But he put his hand under his tunic, touched the rings of the male shirt. He felt staggered to think that he had been walking about with the price of the shire under his jacket. And so many times I think... God has given me and God has given you his Holy Spirit. And it's like we, we need to stick our hand under our jacket, so to speak, and realize the, the true gift. I mean, the same spirit that was in the temple, the, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, lives in us. And, and, and I think many times it's just we don't know the value 
and the worth of what we have by faith. And then he says, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you are now being perfected or made complete in the flesh? He's like, God has given you this gift. He's made you whole, but you still feel incomplete, and you're trying to fix it by doing some kind of human effort. And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, you know, it's probably a universal feeling that I'm not enough. Have you ever felt like you're just not enough? You're just not enough? I was reading different articles. One is, are you suffering from the not good enough syndrome? They even have a name for this. Psychology Today says, I'm not good enough managing the imposter syndrome. You might have heard people mention the imposter syndrome sometimes, known as the fraud syndrome. It refers to the idea that your accomplishments aren't worthy of attention, praise, and care that you're receiving, and that everyone will find out actually that you're a fraud. We were watching something or listening to something, and um, they, they, they didn't say it, but they mentioned the uh, imposter syndrome. And I go, Gretchen, I used to feel that all the time. Like, when will people realize I'm not good enough as they think I am? And I think the reality is if you pastor in one place long enough, everybody knows you're not good enough as they think they are. <clears throat> I remember when I said it to the chairman, he goes, you know, you're right. Somebody moves in for a few years, you can think he walks on water, but if he's been here for over 20, yeah, dude doesn't. But there's something, there's something beautiful about that, and there's something beautiful about us and our lives saying, wait a minute, okay, I may not in my own effort be able to save myself like Abraham kept trying to do, and yet I'm good enough to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is the one that by faith completes me and makes me whole. I don't need to try and strive as hard to be good enough. You, you see, many times I think when we try to complete stuff in the flesh, we work really hard to prove to the world that we are somebody. Or, or, or we work really hard to be a certain weight and to, to be thin because it'll prove, look, I have value. Or we work really hard to be moral and to be the best Christian or the best moral person out there because it'll prove to the world that I am somebody. I know people who would read the Bible every year just to be able to tell people they read the Bible every year. But they beat their kids, right? Like, what's going on there? Uh, the reason why you're so desperate to get married is you just don't feel complete. The, the reason why you need to be so attractive is you just don't feel complete. The reason why you need to get control of your life or be controlling others is you just don't feel complete. And the list could go on. And Paul may say, well, I know today your struggle isn't maybe with circumcision, but there's still a desire in us to prove to the world that we are somebody, to get into that inner ring, that inner circle, and say, I've arrived. C.S. Lewis writes about the quest for the inner ring, that, that desire to be part of the cool group or whatever it is in, in your circle. And and he says, you know, the quest for the inner ring will break your heart unless you break it. But if you break it, a surprising result will follow. 
If in your working hours you make your work your end, you will presently find yourself all unawares inside the only circle in your profession that really matters. You will be one of the sound craftsmen and the other sound craftsmen will know it. What is he saying? When you're content in the spirit, when you're living by faith that you are enough because Jesus made you enough, work just becomes about work and not about you. I'll close with this. Galatians, this chapter ends with, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. It's God's covenant that kept Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And when I think of Abram and Abraham's life, I think, you know, if God was so patient with Abraham, he's patient with me. And, and you know something beautiful? In Genesis 12, 2, God says, I will bless you and make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And then Abraham schemes with his wife, and they make a baby with Hagar, and it's not what God wanted, but they do it, and look what God says. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. He's like, I'm going to bless this too. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That even, even your mistakes, Abram, Abraham, I, I'm going to still bless and use. And this is the same with us. That God can look at you at all your faults and failures and say, I will keep my promise to you and I will bless you. And, and he ends with this wonderful line that, that there's neither Greek or Jew or male or female or slave or like we're all one in Christ and over and over God continues to bring us out of our individuality and out of our little communities and he blows our mind with the kingdom of God being this vast multi-ethnic kingdom. Not just the Jewish nation but for all people everywhere. When I was in India with brothers over there, I may not speak their language, but we had a fellowship in the spirit. You go down to Mexico and we're all praying in all these different languages, and I may not speak those languages, but we have a oneness in the spirit. You come into church like this and you may be new and you may be alone, but if the spirit of God is in you, your family. Like we're one in the spirit. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for each family member that you have made us, you've adopted us into your family and we're brothers and sisters with you, Lord Jesus. For that, we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your patience and your kindness. 
Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.